Welcome to another episode of The Bandage Podcast, a weekly wrap-up of the most trending healthcare news. Each week, join me and my co-host, Alex Ross, as we'll discuss the latest in healthcare, health IT, and compliance. In this week's episode, we discuss an alert for opiate overdoses, a new online anxiety tool, and worsening mental health for American workers. Let's wrap things up. This is episode 68 for the week of January 18th. I'm Matt Moneypenny. And I'm Alex Ross. I gotta tell you, I'm excited for the number for next week's episode. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Before we get started, our diagnosis code of the week is V00.322D, snow skier colliding with stationary object, subsequent encounter. Yeah, I've told you that I enjoy uh, skiing and snowboarding and whatnot, right? Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, okay. So the stationary object in question is the ground. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> um, when ski slopes aren't quite open yet and they don't have any snow on the ground, um, you, you might not believe this, but skis don't actually slide. Oh. No. Um, <laughs> no. Now, I had my special pass and... Uh, so I showed up at the the ski resort and I said, I paid for this. You know, I should be allowed to ski because I'm that kind of person, right? I, I just make a scene all the time, right? That's that's mm-hmm. me totally to a T. And so finally they just said, fine, go out there and ski. I'll turn on the ski lift. And so I did. I put on my skis and my winter coat and I went to the ski lift and I hopped on. And when I got to the other end, I kind of jumped off the ski lift and just straight face planted because my skis didn't slide at all. And then I slid down that little ramp that's in the end of the ski lift and right into the post that was holding up the ski lift. And yeah. so, uh, yeah, it, it was kind of a funny scene when the paramedics arrived and I'm wearing skis, but I'm not covered in snow. No, I'm covered in mud. Mm. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, and of course, that's not the first time that's happened to me. Oddly enough, it sounds weird, but and you'd think I would have learned my lesson the first time, but I didn't. Right. Yeah. Very nice. You know, the ground is a bit is a big area. That's for sure. Well, so I'll tell you the the good thing that came out of it is that we all know now that gravity is still working. That that law has not been changed. Gravity <laughs> is still on your side. So that's good to know. Four more years of gravity. Right. <laughs> With that, let's get right into the news. First up, we have overdoses in Oregon spark health alert. A rise in opiate overdoses in the past two weeks has prompted Jackson County Public Health of Oregon to issue an alert for the area. It issued a yellow alert, a warning due to an increase in overdoses and hospital emergency room admissions over a specific time period. From December 27th to January 9th, Medford Police and Mercy Flights responded to six overdoses, one of which resulted in a death. The system used to track this data only contains data from participating agencies such as Medford Police, so there could have been more that went unreported. Most of the overdoses stemmed from heroin. Reasons for the increase are unknown, but it may be due to a more potent batch or an increased number of users. We deal with uh, similar kind of problems here in Northeast Ohio, so certainly not relegated to Oregon alone and and I'm sure many of our listeners throughout the country have pretty similar goings on where they live. I mean it's a nationwide kind of thing. So um I I do wonder what would a yellow alert accomplish essentially. So 
it lets you know, hey, watch out. There are a lot of overdoses. Is that warning for people who are who are considering using to potentially not uh, yeah. or for first responders? I, I, I guess this system is nice from a data tracking perspective. We, we right. can see these trends. We could potentially uh, move resources around to cause the, the most benefit. But but what does the, the warning do? I don't know. I feel like the warning's just there, just like a political thing more than anything else, just to kind of like give people an idea of where they're at. I don't, I mean, that's all you could really say, right? I mean, what's the difference between DEFCON 1 and DEFCON 2? You know what I mean? <laughs> it kind of reminds me of... Uh, they're both bad. <laughs> right. All the maps of coronavirus and showing the different colors and whatnot. That's kind of what it seems like. Uh, and, and I feel like that map often shows up in my feed in a way that's like, oh, look at you. You didn't behave. Now your your color's worse. You need yeah. to behave. And, and that's almost what it feels like if they're distributing it in that yeah. way. Like, oh, behave. You're getting a little too <laughs> yeah. rowdy. Either way, <laughs> the opioid crisis is scary. And the fact that like cops, at least this is how it is in Ohio, cops have to carry like they have to have Narcan on them. In order to just in case they just, you know, are driving around and just happen to drive up on someone who's overdosing. It's just kind of sad. It is. Yeah. Next up, center yourself with new anxiety site. The launch of Anxiety Center is offering ways to help people manage anxiety, stress and other mental health needs for free. The new website, anxietycenter.ai, helps educate visitors about symptoms, scientific research anxiety management, and treatment options. The founder recognized the growing global mental health crisis. Now, one in five American adults experience a mental health issue each year, and 80% of children who need services don't receive them. Finding effective mental health services isn't just a challenge for those in the U.S., but also those around the world. It's expensive, not easily accessible, and there's a significant lack of recognizing and treating conditions. The Anxiety Center aims to change that by breaking down information into bite-sized, easy-to-read content through a science-based, technology-forward approach. Yeah, any kind of, you know, information center that provides more help for anxiety and stress and depression, anything like that, I'm on board for. So it's cool to see that. It's just a matter of, I guess, finding, I feel like it's going to be much harder for people who have those issues to go out on the web and look for information than it is talking to a therapist but i mean sure it, you it could also reminds me of what webmd does for physical ailments yeah right yeah you it, could it good potentially could cause some kind of of challenge for doctors right with people trying to self-diagnose right but right. in general the net good of it is that i'm able to go on and put in my symptoms and see okay you know very likely it's it's something simple. I can drink some water, see how I feel in a couple days, right? Mm -hmm. and, and that not only takes off some stress from our healthcare system, but it helps people engage with their healthcare providers in the most effective way. Similarly, yeah. I, I think this service has the potential to do the same thing in, in a mental health kind of way. Here's what I'm feeling. Here's what the, the science says. And here's how I can connect with resources to get treatment for that. Mm -hmm. And the counter argument to what I what I said at first is, well, you know, some people keep Googling their symptoms, so obviously they'll probably use it. But 
I think there's a little bit difference between feeling sick and having symptoms of an illness than than mental health, where in some cases you don't even know if this is a problem. You might just think that it's a normal thing that everyone goes through. So that's kind of where I was going with that. Um, Yeah. I would agree. It's it's very hard to, you know, if if my arm hurts, I know my arm hurts and I know how bad it hurts. Whereas when your your brain is trying to analyze your brain, <laughs> that yeah. kind of you know, like we all have challenges at work trying to grade ourselves and how well we did this year, and so we really rely on our peers and our supervisors to give us that answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the same way, our brain has a hard time telling us what our brain is doing. <laughs> right. Exactly. That reminds me of another site that I came across this last week, and I, I don't remember exactly what it was called, but the concept was for people to share their experiences with treatments for different chronic illnesses and mm-hmm. essentially try to get a better idea of what works for your community or people like you. And, and it almost seems like a continuation of the studies that are required for drugs to come to the market. Basically, you know, we know that they're safe. We know that they do what they say they do. And now we get to continue this on a macro level where everybody can share like, hey, this was my experience with it. This is what I saw. And we as well, not we (laughs) doctors are able to view that and get a better idea of if the results that were done in, in the clinical setting are also seen in kind of the public setting. It's a cool idea. I like crowdsourcing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is an interesting idea. <laughs> yep. A lot of that stuff is support group related too, so that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Next up, declining mental health isn't what we meant by saying we're in this together. A monthly mental health index report reveals consistently negative mental health scores among American workers in the ninth consecutive month. 35% of respondents reported being concerned about a coworker's mental health. of supervisors were concerned about the mental health of their employees. Ongoing non-essential travel restrictions have blurred the lines between work and home life. So 48% of respondents didn't use all of their vacation time in 2020. This is a significant factor in terms of employee well-being. Individuals without paid time off have the lowest mental health scores. There's a trend of fatigue among working Americans that has a direct correlation with declining mental health and well-being. One researcher said that it's necessary for employers to encourage their staff to take breaks during the workday to help avoid burnout. It reminds me of a joke I saw the other day. Uh, This comedian said, don't think of it as working from home. Think of it as living at work. It's much more depressing. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I mean, I mean, obviously, there's some perks to working from home because you're you're in your own environment and people can't bother you. So you can stay more productive, but also in the same sense it blurs the line between work and home. So it's it's hard. It's a lot. It's really hard. And it was hard for me at the beginning of, of the, the pandemic to be like, okay, should I request a day off? Because I'm already working from home. So what's the point of that? But the reality is you should still take vacation days. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I know for me, working from home is kind of like a challenge at the end of the day because I don't have that physical distance between my work and me. So when I'm done for the day, I'm still thinking about it. I'm I'm still, you know, in work mode. And and in some ways, when I sit down at my computer after work to do things for fun, like play a video game or read newspaper articles or whatever, I, I still find it hard to get out of that work mode 
because I'm literally in the same place that I work. Right. Mm -hmm. So right. that's been pretty challenging for me. And, and I, I'm betting a lot of people have something similar where they, they really appreciate that physical distance between a work location and home. Now, that said, for me, it kind of balances out because of the convenience of being able to schedule differently, having that extra time where I'm not driving back and forth to work. Or, you know, being able to make use of my lunch break in different ways because I'm mm -hmm. already at home. Right. Those yep. kind of things kind of help balance that out for me. And finding ways to make those times more beneficial from a mental health perspective has been awesome. And in the end, I do feel way more productive working from home. So I think there's a lot of growing pains. We as a culture have to figure out what working from home means. But certainly if you polled people who worked from home before, you know, like freelancers before all of this, I, I don't think you would have seen this same trend. So there, there is a way to balance it and, and we just have to encourage people to do so. Right. Agreed. With that, let's go into our next segment. B-R-E-A-C-H. Breach Patrol. It's a breach! All of the latest cybersecurity breaches. Welcome to Breach Patrol, where we talk about the latest, the biggest, the most recent data breaches happening all across the world. First up, we have reserve your sensitive information for trusted third parties. New Zealand's central bank has suffered a data breach after an unknown actor gained access to a third-party file sharing service. The Reserve Bank of New Zealand confirmed that sensitive personal and commercial information has potentially been accessed. The breach has since been contained and the affected system has been taken offline. The attack against the third-party file-sharing software wasn't specific to the bank and other users of the software were also compromised. No further details have been released about the incident since this investigation is ongoing. It isn't clear how many customers have been affected or whether financial information was taken. That should be step one. Step yep. one, find out if financial information was taken. Yep. <laughs> step one, contain it. Step 1.5, find out if there's any you know, information and what information was taken. <laughs> Especially if you're a bank. Yep. <laughs> I mean, yep. That's what other scary. information that would you think someone wants breaking into a bank? Imagine sharing or imagine saving like all of your money and trusting this bank and then you open up your bank account one day and your savings account is essentially drained. Like that would be the most depressing day in my life if that ever happened to me. Exactly. Now in the U.S., we have insurance against that, the FDIC. Mm -hmm. And basically, if a bank gets robbed, I assume it insures cyber robbing, right? Not just physical yeah. robbing. Um, however, I just Googled, does New Zealand have FDIC? And yes. the, top, the top answer is from, you know, I may be wrong because this is just what Google is telling me. Uh, from, a website, from a website or NZ, <laughs> it says it is, New Zealand is the only advanced country in the world without any form of depositor protection. So if that's that not a good is look. True, <laughs> Jeez. Uh, that's bad. Yeah, that is not. New Zealand bankers. That's that, scary. That's terrible. Why would you ever use a bank if they can't even protect your money? Right. I agree. That would be very scary. 
Especially considering New Zealand's got, been getting all this good press because they contain COVID so well. <laughs> right. Their banks are open. Open for robbery. <laughs> Apparently. So hopefully it, it works out for all of the depositors. I'd like to see New Zealand change that rule, obviously. Because it, it doesn't make sense. I mean, maybe it's imperative on the banks themselves to insure money. Right. Yeah. It's not just like a given that the money is insured. Right. I, I have to assume that they have some kind of protection because it would have only taken one really wealthy person losing some money for them to say, hey, wait a minute, we need to change this rule. Yeah, I don't know if stuff.co.newzealand is that accurate, but, you know, <laughs> I mean, maybe they are. <laughs> I'm not sure. So uh, I do find another news article from June of last year where they were discussing a new rule that would cover 40% of funds in bank deposits. So at least in some way, it, it is true. Like, I don't know if the rules have changed, but it's at least partially true. Right. Next up, the good guy is catching a bad breach. Ethical hackers disclosed that they found a vulnerability that allowed them to access over 100,000 private records of United Nations and Firement Program employees. They came across exposed git directories .get and git credential files .get credentials on domains associated with UNEP. The researchers were able to dump the contents of these files and clone entire repositories from the domains. The Git directory contents contain sensitive files, such as WordPress configuration exposing the administrator's database credentials. They also had access to travel history and demographic data of UN employees. UNEP took immediate steps to patch the vulnerability. They are informing affected users because it's likely that threat actors already have the data. Um, yeah, so Git file is essentially software. Um, so basically they found a uh, vulnerability within this software file. That's pretty much the, the, the gist of this. Um, so the fact that they're envi or, or targeting the United Nations Environmental Program employees is, is, is a big deal. Um, and the hacker that did this is probably going to face a lot of investigations trying to figure out who they were. Sure. And it seemed like the breach was just kind of a like oversight. They didn't realize that mm -hmm. you could get the database credentials from the administrator just you know for free. I wonder. I wonder what kind of information you can get from the United Nations Environment Program. <laughs> I mean, maybe you can try to find like some patents and stuff. I don't know. Um, I have no idea as well. The employees, obviously, their information right. is right. in there. Uh, maybe locations of people that you're trying to find could potentially be dangerous in some yeah. way. What if the it's... fact that this was a WordPress um, vulnerability, like it came from WordPress, it, it just it makes me wonder why the United Nations, any of their programs are using WordPress. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised it's not like custom coded. Right. But I guess it's cost effective. So. Sure. Sure. Certainly is. Finally, just when you thought it couldn't get worse, a ransomware attack against gaming company Capcom last November keeps getting worse. The company now says that the personal data of up to 400,000 of its customers has been compromised, 40,000 more than what it was originally thought. The Japan-based publisher of games like Resident Evil and Street Fighter first detected the breach on November 2nd. 
On November 19th, it said its personal and corporate data was compromised. This is the third update from Capcom about the incident. The announcement added that an investigation is ongoing and that new evidence of additional compromised accounts could still come. So at this point, they don't even know how bad the breach is, really. Yep. No, that's bad. <laughs> the numbers have gone up. What data was was taken has gone up. And um, basically, what we're seeing is the end of the world where zombies will come. No. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, are you describing? <laughs> Hackers are actually trying to make Resident Evil storyline come to fruition with this brand new right. ransomware attack. <laughs> exactly. That's what we're seeing. Because they believe that, that Capcom, a video game company, uh, is secretly the the laboratory from Resident Evil that caused True. all of the, True. the zombies to, to exist. <laughs> yes. All it takes is, you know, they're really taking the, the term data virus very seriously. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be a really wild concept for a video game? Like an actual secret lab hires a bunch of developers who produce a video game based around what they're doing in real life but mm -hmm. then it goes wrong and you know your game hero has to save it but the point is if anyone discovered what the secret laboratory was doing everybody would just be like dude that's the storyline from resident evil what are you talking about that's not a real thing that's a video game <laughs> it's brilliant we need to do there you this go. it's very well, meta it's how meta of you <laughs> So everybody should look and see if the people who own Capcom also own uh, any laboratories. Yes. Good to know. Or you, potentially you know, any street fighting companies. If you're a big gamer, in specifically the story-driven Resident Evil franchise or the competitive fighter game Street Fighter, uh, you should probably check on your account. And that's it for this week's wrap-up of your weekly healthcare news. I'm Alex Ross. And I'm Matt Moneypenny. We'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of The Bandage. This week's episode was written and produced by eTactics. eTactics is a leading revenue cycle solutions organization committed to providing innovative, web-based solutions that improve our clients' cash management and customer relationships. Thanks, and we'll see you next week.